Welcome to the Find the Way podcast. In this show, we will try to explore what is happening in emerging markets and how entrepreneurs, investors, and communities are simply finding the way to make phenomenal things happen, regardless how volatile the environment may sometimes seem. Hey everyone, I'm super excited to have you here for the final episode of the first season of Find the Way podcast series, where I've been exploring Latin American countries, finding phenomenal entrepreneurs, meeting with loads of great investors and community members who have demonstrated their capability to find the way to make great things happen. Regardless that before I really entered here, it seemed only that it was chaotic and, and I've been able to prove myself completely wrong and it's been super incredible that I've been able to meet over 350 different entrepreneurs, over 200 different investor groups, including venture capitalists, including private equity, investment bankers, angel investors, etc. And for this episode, I thought that it, it might be good to sum things up a little bit before we're heading towards a summer break, the European summer break, and before we get back to the show with the episodes more tweaked and twisted for the new agenda. So for this episode, I thought it was going to be important to go through what have I learned? Why did I start this in the first place? And where are we really heading next? Okay. And if we go now a little bit back to the story that what has really happened um, is that a little bit over a year ago, I got sick of working with vitamin projects after vitamin projects. And seeing a lot of people around me in, so to speak, in the Western world, tech environment, solving problems that really did not seem to matter, meaning that the world does not need another dating app, as Ali Jamal put nicely on, on one of the episodes that we had in the past. And when entering the emerging markets, it's incredible to see how people who have a lot less access to opportunities, a lot less resources, have been able to make phenomenal things with very limited resources. And I entered to these markets asking big questions, exploring, traveling to different countries in Latin America. And a lot of the time, my stupid questions were able to open my eyes is that what really goes on behind, behind the scenes, right? And each of these countries in Latin America has very diverse, different cultural and historic background to be very welcomed into multiple of these countries where people were able to, with open arms, demonstrate what they're trying to do, how they're trying to build their tech ecosystems moving forward, et cetera. And then a lot of people were saying that, hey, why don't you just start a podcast or record this conversation instead of just giving me individually these tips and, and these ideas that you have learned along the way. And the worst thing that can happen is that at least I can get a good amount of meetings with super intrigued people where I can continue asking questions that I have loads of curiosity about. So that was the starting point. And that meant meeting loads of people online, traveling to multiple countries within Latin America, being extremely welcomed into the region and just feeling the support system that this NASA ecosystem has. And I, I'm super excited to continue the journey here and try to help wh whatever I can um, to develop the region. Um, we should go a couple of these things is that why Latin America is a great place to do business right now. What have I learned along the way? 
and why I'm going to be investing more in the region for the next five to 10 years to come. So basic question why I'm still here and not gone back to Europe or, or, or the US, so to speak, right? There's a number one world-class companies coming out of the regions that people are not really even knowing that they exist. Incredible talent. There are great universities in the region. There are capable people who have been distributing themselves around the world. That's how I got to know to lots of Argentinians, Mexicans, and Colombians, because I've been working with them in the past in multiple parts of the world. And now coming into their home countries, it's been incredibly interesting to see that how advanced the level of talent here exists. And lots of more companies are being expected to open up innovation centers in Latin America. Most are expected to open operating offices in, especially in, in the major cities, Santiago in Chile, Buenos Aires in, in, in Argentina, Sao Paulo in Brazil, Medellin, Bogota, Colombia, Quito in Ecuador, Cochabamba, Santa Cruz, La Paz in Bolivia, super intriguing cities, and obviously Mexico and, and Central American countries that are coming a little by little, a little bit behind still. And now, for instance, what comes to talent is that if we take a look, Buenos Aires as, as a technology hub and, and, and talent hub is that you have loads of multinational corporations operating in Argentina, especially in Buenos Aires, um, that are utilizing a great time zone, great costs, and absolutely productive talent that if we take an example, J.B. Morgan, the hu huge U.S. investment bank, has been able to utilize momentum here in Argentina. They have loads of employees that are operating in a relatively good time zone, right? Actually, the perfect time zone when you're leaving from the U.S. only one hour from, from Eastern time. And they are just doing a lot of work with the U.S. with a fraction of the cost. And then as a third point, simply the opportunity to have an impact. I had this conversation with Ali Jamal on one of the Find the Way podcast episodes is that the world does not need a 500th dating app. It does not need another food delivery app. There are so many pressing challenges in Latin America that needs to be solved. And you need people to work on these problems to have or let me rephrase, to provide access to opportunities to this talent pool that exists in the region. If you don't have access to opportunities, you're not going to have hope and people are going to just flee. So what now is really happening here is that digitalization is paving the way to include a lot of these people into the economies, provide them unprecedented access to opportunities. And I think that it is simply more meaningful to operate in these environments. And from there, why am I really staying here in Latin America and why I want to keep building up relationships and keep building up bridges between, especially between Europe and, and, and the U.S., is that there's still a lot of people that are surviving with less than a few dollars a day in this region, if we look only as in Argentina, as an example, now the latest stats from the government of Argentina demonstrated that roughly 40% of the people out of 45 million are in poverty. And so that means that there is a lot of work to be done. There is a lot of work to be done first to be able to bring the basic necessities 
and how you can start building these basic necessities, you're going to need certain type of infrastructure. I don't mean building more bridges necessarily or building necessarily more physical schools, even though those are needed, yes. But what I mean by this is that what Clayton Christensen, the famous researcher, demonstrated in his book on the prosperity paradox is that you're going to need more market-creating innovations in regions where you have a relatively large amount of poverty that these countries could come into prosperity and transform themselves into prosperity. Loads of Latin American countries are rich countries, meaning that they have loads of natural resources that they could take, but there's loads of other problems that we're not going to dive deeper into during this episode. Um, but what these countries are going to increasingly need is better market-creating innovations that are going to boost the local ecosystems even further. We're seeing a huge wave of entrepreneurship here in, in Latin America, and these organizations are going to bring new type of hope, new type of opportunities, access to better salaries that they could even possibly get from, from local, larger multinationals. So this type of huge vehicle that we're going to start seeing here is going to be super intriguing to see that how much we're able to build prosperity and scalable solutions that are going to bring this positive wheel of, of moving forward, right? Um, because what we mean by market creating innovations is that, or what Clayton Christensen is actually mentioning, is that transforming complex and expensive products and services into simple and more affordable products. And those can be what everything that there is. And that is why one of the reasons why fintech is booming is that you're creating a new markets for a lot of people that have been underserved. What that means here is that loads of companies are going to bring these traditionally non-consumers into consumers. These new services and products that will be created and are being created here in Latin America currently are going to create a new market so basically, loads of the total addressable market calculations that you're seeing are relatively false because you have not included in those calculations what the market will be when X, Y, Z amount of innovations will come and act as a base for further innovation uh, to take place. So here, why LATAM overall and what are we seeing right now in terms of numbers? During the last decade, the growth of venture capital has been massive in Latin America, right? And to be more precise, the VC ecosystem has grown 35x in the past 10 years. 35x in the past 10 years. It's huge when we think about it. And most of the funds currently go into Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, and Colombia. The record year was 21 with roughly $15, $15 billion that was poured into VC-backed companies in the region, it almost halved um, for 22. But what we're going to still see is tremendous amount of deals being conducted here that no matter how, how volatile the world environment is, the money still keeps coming into Latin America. And the trajectory looks like it that the LATAM companies are able to survive this turbulence, in some cases, maybe even better than, than the Western counterparts in, in Europe or the US because they've been playing the game for so long. Their resiliency is 
is on another level that you see in Europe. Yes, entrepreneurship is always hard, but when you look at the realities that there are, a lot of the entrepreneurs are facing in Latin America or other emerging markets, it's another set of difficulties that these people have to encounter. And I'm very bullish on, on, on this. What I've been able to encounter on this, this little exploration journey is that these entrepreneurs, if any, from emerging markets, they have it what it takes to make phenomenal things happen. And also, if we take a look on what is happening in, for, for instance, Paraguay, Uruguay, Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru, that these countries are true hidden gems that are a little bit outside of the major markets where more venture capital has been available, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Colombia, um, Chile. These underlooked countries, so to speak, have huge upward mobility that is taking place. More people are entering the middle class. They're going to have more and more needs for new products and services. And somebody got to fulfill this demand, right? And one of the big concerns is that I, I, I'm not sure is there going to be enough entrepreneurs filling up these solutions. There's always going to be death for, for multiple companies that are being founded. But the amount of demand and the needs that exist in the region are so vast that there is still loads of room for new entrepreneurs, new solutions that are going to be needed. They can be just direct copycats from the Western world that people are needing. That's why those are getting a lot of traction and getting a lot of momentum. They're making good, good progress in terms of their growth, their numbers and their health, and they're raising money from venture capital. There's just more and more, more of these solutions that needs to be made, especially in the even more underlooked countries and the less hyped countries, so to speak. And, but then if we look at some of the other things about Latin America is that what could be the risks associated, we, we are not going to dive deeper into the bigger macroeconomic risks that we're seeing in the, in the region. We, we know relatively well how volatile these environments are compared to more quote unquote sophisticated markets, but one big aspect that I see here right now is that if we saw on 21, roughly $15 billion that was poured in into the region, what will happen now when they have burned the cash and they're heading towards closer to Series A and post-Series A rounds? And if we look globally, how big of a shock now, within the past months, it has been for venture capital, for especially for later rounds, and how money is not being poured down at the same level that it was in, within the last last years. What will happen into these companies that are entering Series A and beyond that? Simply because Latin America is not sophisticated and liquid enough yet to sustain loads of those companies entering the post A rounds. And one of the big concerns that we have been able to witness now is that there's going to be a lot more liquidity that is going to be needed in order to demonstrate the full capability of these products and services. So did these organizations even have a chance to make it big? That is one big risk factor that, that it needs to be taken seriously. However, that is good to note that and understand 
again, that these entrepreneurs from these regions, because they have not had the similar access to cash, to financing, nothing in terms of debt, grants, venture capital compared to what it is in Europe or in the US, they have had to learn how to become profitable pretty much from day one if they wanted to survive. And when you look at a lot of these LATAM companies raising money, they are profitable. But if we now look at that risk that the markets are not going to be liquid, especially entering towards zeros A and post that, it could be very well that these companies are going to sustain this better because they know what frugality means in operating in a frugal environment. When you compare it to Europe or, or the US where half a million, a million dollars, million euros, it's really not going to get you a long way. You're going to burn that relatively quickly. Here in Latin America, if you raise two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars, it's going to be quite a lot. Your OPEX is going to be a lot less. You're able to do a lot more with a lot less, and this is what they have been ingrained into their minds. And and being part of a volatile ecosystem and a volatile environment where you really don't know what's going to happen next week, as a lot of people told us in the in the episodes during this season these Latin companies, they've been finding the way, they have to find the way, they don't have the same resources, they don't have the same opportunities. So I'm actually very bullish on their capabilities to survive, regardless that there's going to be a certain bankruptcy wave that is, is relatively predictable. So now, if we still sum up the biggest markets for tech that we have in, in Latin America that are existing in Latin America or Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia. And from Global Innovation Index, that basically is measuring countries' innovation capabilities according to multiple variables around the world, the top three innovative countries in LATAM are Chile, which basic strength is rule of law and stability amongst the region. Brazil, which is strength is the domestic market scale. They have over 214 million people living in that country. It's a massive country, the largest, second largest in the Americas, right after the US. It's a huge internal market and it's another animal compared to other Spanish-speaking countries within Latin America. And number three is Mexico, and they have loads of tech exports right right now taking place. There's a huge momentum in Mexico um, in in from a multiple point of view, and especially when we look at manufacturing and fintech in Mexico, I'm super bullish on, on, on that. But then through hidden gems that I mentioned very briefly earlier are Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay. And why is that the case exactly? Is when you, when you travel through these countries, you're very evidently see that, yes, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of problems that needs to be addressed and solved while their population is increasingly moving towards the latter, towards the middle class, they're going to have more disposable income. They're going to need solutions, better products that address their current increasing needs. So somebody got to fool this demand. And, and, and when I talked with one of my friends from, uh, from Bolivia, who has done the first relatively large exit in Bolivia, when they sold their food delivery company to Peridosia, they demonstrated that why everybody is thinking that he is like true magician and, and able to figure out whatever he touches turns into gold. He told me that the simple reality is that because there is a lot, lack of competition, 
as long as you go and execute and build a great team, you're able to get a lot of things done because nobody is there playing in these markets. So that's why it's very intriguing for investor point of view to see these unserved markets where you're going to be able to create almost monopolies in certain interesting verticals, test your product, polish up your product market fit before you're going to start international expansion, which is always difficult. But these markets are large enough that you're able to make over 10 million, over 20 million ARR in, in that country by itself. And then another great example is, is one of the episodes that we had with the Venezuelan entrepreneur who founded Cupi Bacos, Ramon Velasquez, that mentioned is that they were able to bring a huge portion of the population that was un unbanked into the banking world, and they've done loads of revenue, and currently they have over $8 million worth annual revenue taking place, and they are investing heavily in, in new solutions, and they basically dominate the market. They're, they have a mo monopoly. So a lot of these unlooked territories are going to be very intriguing, I would say, for the next five, five to 10 years, because, again, summarizing, huge needs, huge demand due to upward mobility for the people who have more cash at their disposal. Number two, not enough entrepreneurs to fill the demand, which means that the ones who do, they're going to be opportunity for truly market dominance, so to speak. And if we, from here, we're going to go now into the most booming industries. What do we have is fintech, obvious. Fintech is very obvious due to the fact is that Still, cash has been king in, 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 in the region. But I'm going to list for five different reasons why, why fintech is booming in Latam currently. And one is that it's just simply high fintech demand, right? Population remains unbanked. Um, and over 50% of the transactions are still paid in cash. Socioeconomic factors. The region's un underserved population and growth in digital commerce, um, increasing mobile adoption, which is even higher than in China, um, is going to drive the demand for more fintech solutions, emerging technologies, embedded finance, Web3 overall, where we're going to head next, are providing extremely good opportunities for, for innovation and investment. Then we have number four, supported regulations. Even though the environment is really tough to navigate, it's extremely tough to navigate in multiple different countries within Latin America. There are broad examples such as Brazil's regulatory sandbox and Mexico's fintech law that are supporting and encouraging more fintech solutions to come to the market. And then overall, the long-term potential is that when financial technologies will be implemented throughout the region, that is going to be the base and the catalyst for further innovations. And as Ali Jamal said that in the Find the Way pod episode, is that that it serves as the complete baseline for anything to take place. Then from there, as a second very hot industry right now is Web3. And why are so many Web3 solutions coming out of Latin America? Um, I, that's, a, that's a very intriguing topic. And in very simple terms, it's because the current alternatives are so bad that something needs to change. And if we only start from cryptocurrencies, 
lot of people, let's say in Europe or the US, are still very hesitant and they don't understand the need of those and they say that these are complete scams. There are loads of scams, but you have to understand that when you're traveling in, in countries like Argentina, for instance, or Venezuela, where you simply cannot trust the value of the local currency, cryptocurrencies have proven to be more stable and safe environment to hold your savings. And the solutions that have been developed all around Latin America, what comes from transactions, moving around money, making it simple that let's say we in Europe have gotten so used to within the EU area that we sometimes are wondering why the heck should we have crypto? It's not, it's not that great. It's a little sticky. It's not as fluid. It's not, it's a lot more risky. I don't like it. But here in Latin America, when you go and have a beer or a pizza with your friends, after that, when you're trying to split the bill, what happens in you're you're gonna share your MetaMask address and you're gonna wire basically your crypto and that's how you settle your debts. And so then wiring everything on blockchain. That has become a standard norm. And if we now look at just simply that loads of companies started essentially working in, in, in tech are paying salaries in crypto. And employees are loving that. They want more crypto as a means to get by. It can be just USDC and in, in Latin particular, when you don't have the same level of trust in your contracts and your systems, when you have an opportunity to decentralize a lot of different functionalities, the adoption is extremely high. And I don't remember, was it now Visa or MasterCard CTO who mentioned that one of the greatest leading indicators that they are looking about the world web three is that is it really moving on and what direction it's moving on is the pure amount of developers that are focusing full-time on developing Web3 solutions. And one interesting aspect of this is this, of this development is that everything works in cycles. And for me, for instance, growing up in Finland, I really never used cash. There is not this movement when it comes to crypto, Web3 solutions, blockchain solutions compared to here is that now these developers have been building these solutions for the past 10 plus years, and they continue to do so. What will happen in certain currently more developed countries, let's say like the Nordics in, in, in Europe, they might be behind the game 10 years from now, when these people who have been developing these solutions for the next years, they're going to be dictating the rules of the game and they have all the competency to build up on top of their existing infrastructure. People in in Finland or Sweden or Norway are going to have to fight a lot, learn a lot if they want to keep up with the pace of doing what is happening in this part of the world. Then as a third, very booming and, and super intriguing vertical, I would say is ag tech. Agriculture is agriculture capabilities in Latin America overall are humongous. One of the largest food producers in the world, including Brazil, Argentina are developing AgTech solutions with unprecedented pace and loads of venture capital funding is going into the region and solely focused VC funds are increasingly popping up into AgTech. But if we go now from these top three that I mentioned, FinTech, Web3, AgTech, we go into other booming verticals. They include marketplaces, prop tech firms, climate tech, and of course is health tech, metaverse, um, if we take a little glimpse of Metaverse, what now is being predicted by Bloomberg Lina, that the Metaverse could 
represent 5%, roughly $320 billion of the regional GDP by 2031. So we're talking about huge capabilities when it comes to metaverse. And, and we cannot really neglect that, that part either. And, and metaverse, if we were just taking a look on how much they're expected to grow is over 400% by the next 10 years, according to Statista, the data and statistics provider. But then outside of these major more common verticals, what has been a big surprise for me is that there are a couple of verticals that I did not expect to be this big and this advanced in, in Latin America. Number one is biotech. And if we take, according to Crunchbase, the number of organizations in Latin America is roughly 520. Number of funding rounds total in, in the past years has been 217. Total funding is still modest compared to, let's say, Europe or the U.S., but it's 1.5 billion U.S. dollars, includes debt, equity, and grants. Then number of acquisitions is seven, and number of investors total is 273. So biotech is really, really also a vertical where a lot of advancements are being expected, more VC money is being poured down in, more accelerators focusing on matchmaking scientists with more business savvy people. As a great example, great exponential from Argentina, they've been doing loads of work to, to bring scientists and their ideas in, into the market. And I'm super excited to see where, where this trend is really, really heading. These countries are extremely resource rich, but now we need to provide better opportunities. And this new wave of entrepreneurship is really about to do that. And what does this mean for Find The Way podcast? And for me personally, I'm going to continue spending more and more time in Latin America, splitting the time mainly between Latin America and Europe, and try to build bridges. And we're going to get later into that, what that exactly is going to be like. But we're, going to, we're now going to head for a couple months break from the Find The Way podcast episodes. And we're coming back with a little new concept in, in July, where we're going to dive deeper into these topics with little twist on how we're going to present these things. And as always, please send some feedback, questions that you may have on how you want this show to go along. And we're going to keep building up the show in a way that it's going to keep demonstrating the true hidden gems of the world that might have been underlooked up until now and, and spread awareness that what is really happening behind the scenes of Latin American tech. So thanks a lot for, for being part of the journey for the first 20 episodes. I'm super glad to be able to do this program and meet all the great entrepreneurs, investors, community members. And here we go for the next season. Let's stay tuned and, and see you soon.